I love the way that short snippet ends. He was marveling. Um, some, of, some of the translations actually say wonder, wondering. And I think sometimes we take that as, as like uh, a skeptical wonder. And maybe that's where Peter is at this moment, but what we know about Peter is it leads to awe-filled wonder. And so my prayer is that today as we look at the risen king, that it would fill us with awe-filled wonder. That we would see him and behold him and it would change the way that we live, it would change the way that we worship, it would change everything about us. And so that is where we're at here. I love that this passage actually begins with worship and ends with worship. You see the ladies going to the tomb with these spices and these spices aren't cheap and they're going to anoint Jesus and, and work like love him, even after his death. And then we see that they go away with wonder and with rejoicing and with worship. And so I pray that, you know, even, even the way that we organize our time together, where we sing and we worship and then we sit under the word and then we worship again, like that would be rhythms of life for us. It wouldn't just be moments on a Sunday, but we would worship our God all of the time. I was thinking this morning about um, death and life, just a lot of thoughts on death and life this week. Now, if, you, if you've been to our house and you've seen our backyard, it is an absolute mess. There are so many dead plants in our backyard, and yet today I looked out, and one of those dead plants was producing a beautiful red tomato. And I was like, what in the world? That's crazy. And I, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, what a great illustration for this morning that, that what was dead, God has brought life to. Now, you and I both know that plant is not completely dead. Somewhere in there, it just looks dead. It just needs water. It just needs some attention that we don't have to give to it. And so it, it's just withering away, but it's not dead. So when, when it produces fruit, we shouldn't be too crazy surprised by it. But what we see in this passage is different from that. Jesus was actually dead. He actually went to the cross and suffered torment and punishment, and pain, and death because of our sin. And so he actually died because that is the requirement to pay for sin. That's God's rule. He, he said that because of sin, there would be death. But you and I, because if we are in Christ today, he's paid that sin for us. And we sang that beautiful song. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross. We haven't been nailed to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. In our stead, He bore the weight of sin for you and me today. And that's, that's where we sit. That's where we rest today. But the good news is that while Jesus died and the atonement is full and it's beautiful and even though it's hard for us to see if you've seen images or if you've seen the passion of Christ, and, and some of it's just brutal, and it was, it was brutal. But there's beauty there for you and me because there's a plan of God that His servant should suffer in our place to redeem a people for Himself. And today we look at this dead king that rose again by the power of God to take hold of a kingdom to rule and to reign. So that's where we're going to be. But listen, as hard as it is for Peter 
to, to see the, the linen cloths and then go away just marveling and, and for the women to get, hear the word from the angel and then, and then they're still struggling, like they're starting to believe. But you and I, we have a hard time believing today too. We haven't seen those things. We have some, some things written down for us, but even that's hard to believe. So what we need this morning is we need the miracle of God. By the power of His Spirit, He would transform our hearts so that we would hear it and we would believe it. That we would take hold of it in such a way that it would change everything that we say and do. So will you pray with me? Because we're going to ask God to do what only He can do. Lord, we thank You for the preserving of Your Word. We thank You that today, 2,000 years after you rose from the grave. We get to read about it with testimonies of the saints that would say it's true. God, and, and that not only do we have that, but we have a testimony of the Spirit of God that is within us that would quicken our hearts to believe the truth of your word. So Lord, we pray that as we marvel, as we wonder, as we stand amazed, that even as um, we would want to be skeptical, Lord, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, work belief and trust and faith in us today. God, so that we would worship you. So that we would rejoice in the fame of your name, the risen King Jesus. So, Lord, give us clarity today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, we long to know you, to trust you, to see your beauty, to rejoice in what you've done, to rejoice in your kingdom and your, your current rule and reign in the world and in our lives. Thank you that this message is not being proclaimed just here in Cape Canaveral in the community center, Lord, but it's being proclaimed throughout the world and millions are worshiping you today as the risen king. God, I pray for those that are struggling, that are looking for, looking for you to do a work in their hearts and in their lives, Lord, that are struggling with belief. Lord, I pray that today they would believe. I pray that those that are sick, today they would be healed. For those that are dead, today they would become alive. God, do what only you can do by the power of your Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. From death to life. You really see that in uh, the words spoken by the angel. Because what, what they're coming to the tomb with an expectation of is that there would be death. That Jesus would be dead. That he would be lying there. That the, the man that they spent time with, that they knew, that had made them promises, that had given them hope, they were expecting him to be dead. And so they come to the tomb. And I love what the angel says. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? In verse 5. He is not here, but has risen. And then in this kindness, he says, Remember. He doesn't correct them and be like, You silly people. How many times did I tell you? No, he, he simply says, remember. Remember what he told you. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men 
and be crucified on the third, and on the third day rise. They were coming expecting Him to be dead, but they shouldn't have been. He had promised that He would rise on the third day. They had seen the miracles. like People had gotten up and walked who had never walked before. They had seen, actually, some of them had seen Lazarus, who was dead, come forth and rise from the dead. So why should their minds be blown when they get there and Jesus isn't there? Because they're sinful people like you and I. We, we do the same things. We come with an expectation that God won't actually move, and then He does, and then we're blown away by it. And it's beautiful, and it's gorgeous, and we should be excited about it. And we should have that expectation. Lord, do what only You can do. And so we're asking Him to do that today, that in our hearts He would change us. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee. So you have Jesus telling them ahead of time what's going to happen. You have the prophets that have prophesied that a suffering servant would come, he would die, and then he would reign. Right? We have all of this truth, and you and I have this truth today. So I pray that today, when we see and we read, he is not here, he is risen, that we would rejoice in that fact, believe it to be true, even as it shatters like some of our ideas of what's possible. Some of our ideas of how could he be both man and God? How could he have died and then rise again? We can take those questions to God's Word and we can find out what this means. I love that this had such a profound effect on Paul. We've talked about Paul lately because we've been in the book of Romans and he's, he wrote the letter to the church in Rome. But he also wrote a lot of other letters. And so one of his letters is 1 Corinthians. So I would encourage you this week. Here's your homework. We're getting it early Read 1 Corinthians 15 as you think about the resurrection of Christ. Because Paul goes through and he walks through what that means. You see, we have this historicity, this historical fact that Jesus was dead, attested to by the people that were at his crucifixion. And then we have the historical fact that he rose again from the dead. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That angel tells the people at the tomb the same truth. And then Jesus tells Paul the same truth on the road to Damascus. And and. Paul is radically changed at that point. He goes from persecutor of the church to proclaimer of the church. The one who plants all of these churches throughout the Mediterranean. Paul is radically changed and he, come, he boils it down to this. What is the truth that has changed him? It's the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the truth of the Gospel that you and I believe. When we talk about the Gospel, we're talking about what did, the, what did Jesus do? He lived a perfect, righteous life. He died in the place of sinners like you and I. But He didn't stay dead. He atoned for our sins, and then He rose again from the grave to rule and to reign. This is 
the, the victory of God-given life over death. And if you think that, like, looking at the New Testament, that it's isolated to that, this has been the story of God throughout all of eternity. Since creation, when in the garden we rebelled against Him and said, on my own I can live, God had already been telling us what life looked like. He'd been giving us life. It's the work of God throughout all of history. We see it in the Old Testament when God raises the dead back to life. If you remember the story of Elijah going to the widow and raising her son back to life. And then we see it in the New Testament where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's not isolated to just Jesus, although it is particular in Jesus because He's the Son of God and His resurrection has meaning for all of us. But we don't just see it in the resurrection of the dead. We see it in the biblical themes of miraculous fertility and return from exile. Like Exile was death. If you were kicked out of the garden... You were exiled to death, but God would redeem a remnant and bring them back. So he was bringing life out of death. If you were a barren woman, then you weren't able to carry on the heredity and the line of your family. And so there was, there was a death there. But you look at the story of God so many times where God comes and does this miraculous thing and produces life where there was death. This is the story of God. All of these works of resurrection, making the dead alive, they point to an ultimate resurrection in Jesus. The raising of Jesus on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. All of this is one story. It's one story that God is working and He's working through His Son because you and I could not do it. We could not produce this. We, tr- we see it in the garden where God gives Adam and Eve direction, tells them to rule and to reign and to subdue. But they said on their own they could live. And so what does God do? God exiles them out of the garden. And so they, they have to suffer the brokenness of sin. And today you and I continue to see the brokenness of sin in our world. And we mourn it and we grieve for it. And we ask God to continue to work and to do what only He can do where He would bring life where there was death. And by His grace, He does. I mean, look around. Look at what God is doing in some of us where He is taking us from from death to life and He's producing the fruit of the Spirit. Life and life to the fullest in us. You see, He is risen and He is risen indeed. The reality of what Christ has done because Paul continues on in that 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He doesn't just leave it with, hey, just trust me. He goes in verse 5, he says, and he appeared to Cephas, talking about Peter. So Peter saw the risen Christ. And then to the twelve, the disciples, they saw the risen Christ. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his brother. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me. You see, there's a historicity to it. There's a reality to the fact that Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again. It's attested to. When you read Old Testament, New Testament, they're testifying to the truth of what God has done. God rose from the dead. It's the power of God displayed that we looked at in Romans 1 two weeks ago. Romans 1, 3, and 4. Concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, 
and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the triune God has displayed his ultimate power in the resurrection of the Son. What we're going to see is that means that death is defeated. Sin is defeated. Brokenness is defeated. And God is ushering in the kingdom of his righteousness, his completeness, his goodness, and we get to see it. You see, not only did Jesus rise, but he reigns. That's key. I think so often I look at the resurrection and I say, well, what does that mean? Well, it just means that everything that he did in the atonement and on the cross, that's true because he rose again. But there's, there's more to it. It is true. It does prove that he is the Son of God. But it also means that he is, he is reigning today. Humans were tasked with ruling the earth as we talked about in Genesis 1.28. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But instead of reigning with God, we said on my own I can live. Instead of the sweet unity that we should have had with the Father, you think about Adam and Eve in the garden walking through God's creation, just them and God. That blows our minds. What would that have been like? How do they screw up so badly? We blame them, and yet we see in our own lives where we, we have the testimony of God's truth, and yet we don't believe it. And so they had been given God's word, and they didn't believe it. You see, what had been very good because of sin was now broken. Where there had been only life, now there was death. Death that was a punishment for sin. Death that as we look to the cross, we see has been paid. For those of us who are in Christ, our, our death that we deserve has been paid by the Son of God as He came and suffered in our place and died in our place. So this Adam, he failed. He didn't live in the right rule of the king. But the last Adam, the better Adam, fulfills what the first Adam failed to do. Jesus came and He reversed the curse of sin and death. He brought life where there was only death. He brought righteousness where there had only been sin. Jesus, the Son of Man, walked in perfect obedience to the Father. You think about Adam and Eve not being obedient to the Father, and then you look at Jesus and His perfect obedience throughout all of His life. And so what we're going to see is that if we are in Christ, now He is imputed. He has given that. He has put in us his righteousness. Today, when you are in Christ, we, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, on the cross, He took our sin and our shame and He gave us His righteousness. That's crazy. So when we look at each other, we get to see the righteous, perfect holiness of God being worked out in our lives. You see, but risen doesn't just mean not dead. It's true that our God is, is not dead. He's surely alive. Maybe you've heard the song. God's not dead. He's surely alive. He is alive. But not only is He alive, He is reigning. You see, the resurrection of the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would be king, Jesus the Christ takes the throne as King Jesus in His resurrection. 
He says, this kingdom God that you have promised to me, talking to the Father, the, the covenant of redemption that has been worked out since the beginning of time, now this kingdom that the Father promised to the Son, He takes hold of. This is my kingdom. Hebrews 1, 3, and 4 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's the King. Not only is He a man that rose again, but He's the King, the conquering King, the one who rules and reigns. So today when we celebrate and we say He is risen and He is risen indeed, we acknowledge that not only is He risen, but He reigns. And so if you and I have been called into that kingdom, we have a Lord and a King. For some of us, that's going to that's be hard. It means that I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to change the things that I want, the things that I desire, because God has given me His kingdom and said what His righteousness looks like. And then I look at my life like we did in the prayer confession, and I'm like, man, it doesn't look like that. God, would you change me? Would you even change my heart to desire your kingdom more than my kingdom? To desire you more than my comfort or my desires? May I rest in you in your good reign. But the beauty of it is it's not even done there. Like he, he rose, he reigns, but there's a there's a truth to those who are called to be in Christ. Because if that's true about Christ, that also means it's true about us. We have a unity with Christ through dying to ourselves and rising with Him. If you've, if you've been baptized, you probably know some of the words that, that when you go into the water, you die to yourself and you rise with Christ again. It's an outward expression of something that we believe is taking place internally. That I have a new king. I'm not my own king anymore. I have a new king, Jesus. And I'm going to worship him with all of my heart and soul. You see, the resurrection of Jesus has great significance for us. Romans 4, 23-25 says this, For the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Like we talked about earlier, today you and I are justified before a holy God because of what King Jesus has done. Because He took our sin and our shame and He's given us His righteousness so now we have right relationship with God the Father. He was raised for our justification. Not only that, But in 2 Timothy 2, 11-13, he says that we moved us from death to life. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Listen, there's this promise that not only is Jesus reigning, but He's called us to reign with Him to steward the lives that we have for His glory. So, we've justified by His resurrection. We reign with Him because of His resurrection. We see that not only are our sins forgiven and paid for, but we have a living hope and an inheritance in Christ. 
1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You and I, today, because of Christ's resurrection, have an inheritance. It's not an inheritance that you're going to experience um, in, through, through wealth or through uh, even comfort, because what we're promised is actually, as we follow Christ, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be brokenness, it's going to be hard. But what we have is just like Chris was saying, in the midst of the storm, we have the Savior. We have King Jesus. Because of the work that He's done to make us right with Him. And so we have this inheritance, but we also have an inheritance that we're going to reap in eternity. It's an imperishable and undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you. And God is guarding us. Like, He's doing all of the work. He saves us. He guards us. He protects us. He carries us through. If that doesn't stir in us this incredible gratitude for like, man, God, you are so kind. Who am I that you would love me, much less you would give your son to die on the cross for my sin? And then you shower me with with the gifts of the Spirit. You put your Spirit inside of me. Like, God, you have loved me so well. I want to love you. Like, that's that relationship that we're invited to with with the God of the universe who has loved us and we love Him and respond to Him in worship. You see, with this promised inheritance and living hope, we, we no longer live in fear of death. Because I have this hope that even if I die, I get Jesus. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear sin. I don't have to fear what man can do to me. I don't have to fear the brokenness of this world. Even though it's broken and it can be overwhelming at times, I don't have to fear any of those things because death is defeated by the resurrected and reigning King Jesus. That's what you and I have today when we see Jesus risen. We have a promise that death is defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57 Again, that's your homework this week. Read 1 Corinthians 15, but at the end of it, it says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and mortals put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have today. Victory over death. Victory over sin. Like if you're struggling with sin this morning, I pray that God would give you His victory to walk in His righteousness today. If you're struggling with brokenness and, um, in your body, I pray that God would give you victory and healing today. But we don't look to those things as the ultimate, right? God may or may not give us Comfort. He may or may not give us health in this life, but what we have is we have Him. And so we rejoice in that today. I pray that you would experience victory today through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan is finished. 
The work is complete. Like the work to save sinners like you and I is done by Jesus through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. It's done. And yet today we still continue to see the fruit of that work, the completed work of Christ. Death has been conquered and Jesus has risen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. I want to close our time with these words because, again, as we think about them, there's this idea of resurrection that can cause wonder, doubt, skepticism. I pray that, that God would pierce our hearts and that He would call us to the risen Savior this morning. Here's what Jesus says in John 11, 25, and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you for the question that you would ask that you would ask your disciples, that you would ask those that would meet you, that you would ask us today, do you believe this? And to be honest, Lord, we have doubts. We have fears. We have unbelief. And so, Lord, we would say, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I pray that if there's any here today that have, that have never said, I believe, I believe that Jesus is alive. I believe that He rose again. I believe that He died for my sins. Lord, I pray that You would save today. Lord, and for some of us, we've heard this over and over and it just becomes the same old story. Lord, I pray that You would breathe life into this story, that, that we would see again the beauty of what it means that Christ is risen, that He is reigning, that He has invited us and called us into His kingdom to reign with Him. To walk in His righteousness. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord. That we would walk in the goodness of God today. Because we have a reigning King. A King who has defeated sin and death. A King who is victorious. God, remind us all again today. Of who You are and what You've done. And may we be changed. Maybe we, may we be transformed into your image for your glory. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.